0: And if you'd like to, you can turn in the book of Proverbs to Proverbs chapter 16. It's on page 539 of the Pew Bible, if you're using that. Proverbs chapter 16, we'll read verses 1 through 5. Continuing our time reading through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 5, lend your attention... This is the very word of God. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Thus far the reading of God's word. Join me in prayer as we ask his blessing on the reading and the preaching of the word. Your word is a light and a lamp, O Lord. Your word is more powerful than a a hammer, sharper than a sword, Lord, dividing between bone and marrow. So many of our ways, O Lord, seem right in our own eyes, but your word sheds true light upon our hearts by the power of the Spirit. And so now we ask that you would lay us bare, Father for your word that we may know in truth the truth of who we are and the truth of what you have done for us in the lord jesus christ as you have set him forth as a savior a savior not for mild sinners o oh lord but a savior for wretched sinners And as we come to a greater understanding of the tenacity of sin, its sinfulness, may it be a means, Lord, to produce in us a greater appreciation for Jesus who came to save us from sin. Do these things we ask, O Lord for the glory of your name and for the good of your people. For we ask in Christ, amen. We come to question 83 and 84, which you can find on page 974 in the hymnal. It should be printed as well on the back of your bulletin. We'll take up the questions in a moment. We'll attend to a verse in Galatians, as that which frames our hearts and our minds with reference to this weighty topic. So lend your attention. This is God's word. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, And do them. Thus ends God's word. And question 83 asks Are all transgressions of the law equally heinous? Some sins in themselves and by reason of several aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God than others. Then question 84 asks, What doth every sin deserve? Every sin deserveth God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. We've mentioned the familiar and terrifying scene that you've seen one way or another, that maybe you've even experienced, of knowing that you're hurt, and not having the courage to look and see just how bad the wound is. I've seen it play out in a number of movies. The man is clearly wounded, and his heart is gripped with fear, and he doesn't want to know. I've experienced it before. I had a terrible cut on my hand, and I knew that it was very bad, and I just didn't have the courage to look. And there's something about that scene both the fear of it, the dread of it, and the knowledge that we're going to have to look <laughs> that helps us to understand something of the difficulty of coming to terms with the truth of sin. And Because the truth of sin, and we know this at a certain level, is that it's worse than we think. It's worse than we know. And that strangely... It's only by coming to terms with it to some degree that we're positioned to either seek the help that we need or marvel at the help that we've received. Does that make sense? Somehow coming to terms with it. And we know that Convincing ourselves that it's not bad, that's not the way to go, though we flirt with that, don't we? Convincing ourselves that it's probably worse on other people. I suppose there could be a way to redeem some sort of value from that observation, but there's no real hope or comfort in that if you're holding in your hand or on a vein, as it were, a gushing wound. These questions want to orient us aright to the difficult reality of sin. But as we pray regularly in the confession of sin, as we rehearse regularly in our very liturgy, coming to terms with the darkness of sin is not an end in and of itself, it is a means to bring the sinner. To a sight and sense of the truth of their need for the Lord Jesus Christ, and a sight and a sense of the profundity of God's love extended to sinners in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's grapple with something of what Westminster Confession sets before us regarding the reality of sin. We could approach this as these two questions correcting two types of errors. And the first error is taken up in question 83. Question 82 has already said that we daily break God's law in thought, word, and deed. Sin is a regular feature. And that's not speaking of unbelievers. That's speaking of the church. That's speaking of us. That we daily break God's law in thought, word, deed. Indeed, we rehearse regularly 1 John. The evidence that the truth is in us is not that we have no sin. The evidence that the truth is in us is that we confess our sin. The one wrong conclusion we might be tempted to draw about that is since everyone sins pretty much regularly, one sin is pretty much the same as the next. If everyone's constantly sinning, then all sin must be pretty much alike. And that's the error that Question eighty-three asks. It asks, "Is all sin equally heinous?" And he answers explicitly, "Not all sin is equally heinous. That some sin is more heinous in the sight of God than other sin." John nineteen eleven is one of the Several texts that the Westminster Shorter puts forth for this, the scene is Jesus before Pilate, and we read as follows. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. We could say a lot about that, but you can hear Christ making a differentiation between Even the miscarriage of justice, the gross injustice that's about to take place under Pontius Pilate's lawful authority, that's one form of sin. He doesn't pull any punches on that. But he also speaks in truth and acknowledges the sober fact that it's not the worst sin in this morass of sin that's unfolding in the trial of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says the one who betrayed him, is the one who has the greater sin. He can speak in terms of greater and lesser. He doesn't dismiss the one, but he does differentiate side by side. It's a strange category for us, and I think we can be tempted to iron out the very fine distinctions that Scripture makes in this way. The first point that this section of, the catechism wants to make is saying that we can still make these distinctions. We can still acknowledge that there are degrees of heinousness in sin, even though we say in the light of God's testimony and plain truth that all sin is heinous. So what is it that makes some sin more heinous than others? Is there any indication of what would make a differentiation in a degrees of heinousness apparent. The question and answer gives some indication of how it's thinking about that. It says some sin in and of itself is more heinous in God's sight. Some sin in and of itself is more heinous in God's sight. You know, I love referencing Anna Karenina and really nice to be able to highlight sin and not have to reference real people. <laughs> you guys, she's, she's fake. So, <laughs> you know, she's the object of our pity, but it's all in our imagination. <laughs> For Anna to carry on her affair with Vronsky behind her husband's back is dreadful. But when she starts to do it in her husband's house, it's more dreadful still. Some sin in and of itself is more heinous. It's one thing to steal from your father. It's worse still to strike him. Lust of the heart is wicked. But it's still worse to actually commit adultery. The Lord's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount does not take that away. I assure you, he is saying that simply refraining from adultery does not constitute the righteousness of God. He does not say that lust of the heart and actual treachery to your vows, to your wife, to your family, to your husband, to your family, is equally heinous. A vain thought is sin. A blasphemous word is a worse sin still. You see the principle there. Some sin in and of itself is more heinous. There's nothing that would keep us from making what is rather obvious to common sense. Sanctified reason, as it were. All of this is wicked. You're not dismissing any of it as sin. Lust is sin. The adultery hidden or the adultery flagrant. Sin. But to use the terminology of question 83... Some of it is blatantly more heinous in and of itself. The other category it uses, it says some sin is more heinous by reason of several aggravations. What does that mean? Basically it means that God legitimately takes into account circumstances. God legitimately takes into account the specifics of every scenario that alone ought to give us pause mark how quick we are to pronounce judgment upon scenarios where we really have almost next to no knowledge of the specifics consider how little you know of the specifics of each other's upbringing The demands that are placed upon you day in and day out. The stations that you occupy. The contours of your soul. All of these specifics are hidden from us, but known to God. And they're not insignificant. To say that some sin is more heinous by reason of several aggravations is to say that the specifics actually matter. Circumstances actually matter. The sins of children are wrong. The sins of parents are worse still. Because the attainment of parents is greater. To strike a stranger is wrong. To strike one's father is worse still. Because the bond that knits is greater. To sin as a private person is wrong. To sin as a public person is worse still because the station is higher and more people are likely to follow that example. To sin as laity is one thing. To sin as a minister is worse still because of reasons that are similar to the last observation. The basic principle seen in all of this is the more that one is given... The higher the bar, or to use the language of Scripture to those to whom much is given, much is expected. It's a hard but plain teaching of Scripture. It's humbling, is it not? And I think that that's the first takeaway from this teaching. The takeaway from this teaching is explicitly not giving us a calculus to figure out which of your sins are worse than mine. (laughs) That would be decidedly the wrong takeaway. You've been warned. (laughs) All sin is heinous. It would be folly and wickedness to take this distinction and attempt to make of it a balm for an ailing conscience. That'd be like saying, I have a cut that's going to kill me on my hand, but I think yours is worse, and I guess I'll draw comfort from that. It's absurd and potentially deadly. I think one of the plainest takeaways that we can seize is what we've already alluded to. We can marvel at the perfect knowledge and justice of God. Our knowledge of situations is so imperfect that does not keep us from pronouncing judgment. It ought to, but it doesn't. But the knowledge of the judge who will judge all the earth is perfect. No one will ever be able to say from t- to him, I have received something ill-deserved. Even the judgment that sinners receive outside of Christ will be so blatantly just that all will either fall silent in adoration or declare, Great are you, O Lord. Categories like this give us a little bit of a glimpse into the perfections of his dealings. Can you see that? Is that plain? The other takeaway is we ought to grow in humility from this. As we look to ourselves, the stations that he has us in, the gifts and the graces that he has given us, and we seek his help to live faithfully therein, noting that we frequently fall short of the graces which we've been given and asking that that would give us pause to pronounce brazenly upon the shortcomings of others, that we might be moved to meet them with understanding as we seek the Lord's forgiveness. And the last takeaway I trust you'll be able to rejoice at. Is that the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. From the least heinous to the most heinous. We may not be able to escape the earthly consequences of heinous sin. The marriage may be destroyed. The verdict from the earthly court may be irreversible. there is true freedom and welcome to be had with God for the worst offender for the one who finds refuge in the beloved son who shed his blood not for mild sins only but for all sin that is the word of the Lord if that's the first error the second error is that some sin is no big deal if we're constantly sinning all the time, then it must be the fact that sin must not be that big of a deal. It was said in 2 Chronicles chapter 1 that Solomon made silver and gold as common as stone. I suspect that had a negative effect on the value of silver and gold the commonness of sin does not detract from sin's severity. We cannot observe commonness and conclude triviality. And that's what question 84 tells us plainly. What does all sin deserve? We heard it in Galatians 3, it deserves God's curse. It deserves God's just Wrath being poured out. Again, this is sobering for us. In our minds, most sin is excusable. Left to our own fallen reason, this is an overreaction from God. Is it not? Mark, if you aren't tempted to conclude that. Mark, if you still don't have to wrestle in your heart put the excellencies of his justice firmly before you to come to the conclusion that no, this is right and my view of sin is what is wrong. R.C. Sproul talks about the sinfulness of sin in his book, The Holiness of God. He rather famously remarked, every sin is cosmic treason. I'll go on to quote, quote, every sin, no matter how seemingly insignificant, is an act of rebellion against the sovereign God who reigns and rules over us. It is an act of supreme ingratitude toward the one to whom we owe everything. if even with our fallen reason we can instinctively feel that crimes against parents are some of the worst crimes conceivable because of how much parents have rendered unto children, how much worse the rebellion of our hearts against the Holy One, the Maker who gives us all things apart from whom we have nothing at all. One application I think that's worth making at this point is that we do each other a real disservice when we downplay our sins against each other in our apologies. We who have the truth ought to apologize to one another with the true knowledge of what sin is. Too frequently our own apologies are filled with language like, I messed up. I made a mistake. Just cut me a break. I'm sorry. You're making too big a deal out of this. Mark if they're not. I don't have my glasses, so I don't know if you're nodding. (laughs) A Christian apology should... Not whiff of these things. We who know the truth of sin must come far closer to the truth of what has taken place in our sin. Husband gets angry with a wife. Wife gets angry with a husband. Parents get angry with children. We do each other wrong. What do we say? Not, I messed up. It's what I did was wrong. It was an offense against God and against you. I hurt you. And I hate the wrong that I did and the hurt that I caused. Please forgive me. That far more accurately reflects the reality of sin. And at a practical level, it becomes much easier to forgive. When a full articulation of the wrong is set forth willingly. Is it not? Scripture is plain all sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and the life to come. It's the terrifying words that the Lord Jesus Christ speaks in Matthew 25 Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's the solemn and just pronouncement upon the reality of sin. And it's terrible to consider. Yet mark how quick we are to downplay it. Mark how quick we are to seek some other justification than taking refuge in the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark how quick we are to shift the blame when there is never any excuse for sin. And we only make matters worse when we embark on such confusing paths. What can we say in the light of this? To close. If sin is this severe and the just judgment of sin is as terrible to consider as Christ says it is, We're well positioned to mark that all the good that we have received in this life as sinners is astonishing, is it not? The health we possess. The feasts we've enjoyed. The soundness of mind. What wonderful and rich gifts given to us by a kind God. Furthermore, we can say that the worst difficulty that we experience in this life is well short of what our sins deserve by virtue of strict justice, is it not? These two considerations are of great help in cultivating a true humility and thankfulness in our heart. One of the consistent enemies, one of the consistent lies from the devil that we have to wrestle into the very end is the lie of entitlement. You deserve better than this, or you don't deserve as bad as this. But the plain doctrine of the heinousness of sin... And the plain testimony of his goodness which has adorned all of our days. Work against the devil's lies in that regard. Second, we can mark the profound love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. If the dreadfulness of sin's punishment is set before us in the reality of everlasting fire, of communion with devils and demons forevermore, How profound that the Lord Jesus Christ drank the cup of God's wrath in full so that we would never have to taste such a dreadful end. And this by virtue of pure, redeeming love. Grace and mercy unbounded. And that observation leads to the last once more is similar to what we said this morning the day of God's favor continues his patience continues time of the gospel and repentance continues let us pray with an earnestness for the lost that they may be spared the end that we have been spared in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the dreadful fact is that sin will be punished. All sin will be punished. All sin will be accounted for. It will either be exacted from the sinner or it will already have been exacted from the sun let's pray with earnestness that more and more find shelter in the shadow of his wings let's pray mm-hmm. father is a weighty thing and in your infinite wisdom o oh lord Veil us from a a full sight of the dreadful reality of sin which clings to us. And we praise you for that. For surely it would lead us into despair. And so we do ask, Lord, that whenever you open our eyes to the truth of our sin, that you may be pleased to work it for good produce in us humility and to drive us in utter dependence into the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ, Savior of sinners, that we may grow in our knowledge of your love. Be pleased to do these things, for we ask in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.